My name is Shauna Safley, and I am an acupuncturist and former social worker, and I'm here with... Heidi Lovey. I am uh, an acupuncturist, and I teach over at Pacific College of Health Sciences, as do you, Miss Shauna. Yes. And today... So today, I think we, we decided that we wanted to talk about fear and grief in the time of COVID and 2020. And this is something, so Sean and I, we graduated together and we've known each other like close to 20 years and work side by side. So this is something that like we were actually talking about the other day and kind of wanted to share like our thoughts in a broader context. Yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting because the, what comes to mind is what I keep on telling myself, my family, my students, my community is what we are doing is within a pandemic. Like this is idea that that we are supposed to be functioning pre-pandemic levels and and to honor the fact that this is this experience is full of loss, grief, fear, uncertainty. And, and how do we honor that and uh, heal around this to the, you know, to the best of our ability? Well, <laughs> one of the things too, uh, I, th- I think when you start when you start this, I always feel like one of the things you have to define yourself is what does healing even mean? Right. right, right. And I think a lot of us like go by the title of healer. We think healer, but like, how do you define healing? Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean for you as a practitioner and somebody who carries that title? And for me, what it means is coming to a place of neutral charge around something where like, and it's not going to be neutral charge every day, right? Like you're going to have ups and downs, but like the trigger is close to untriggerable. And I think the issue with this, oh, is we're still in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, People forget right. about that, right? Right, right? Like at the time of this recording, what's today? Today's like June, whatever, it's June 6th. 2021 we're still in COVID people are still dying in India people are you know there's variants like people are dying in Brazil like we're still in the middle of it but we're so ready to be done with it and <laughs> people are just like post-COVID and it's like no it's not post-COVID yeah yes and and have we even been able to process and digest what has happened to us I remember having a conversation with somebody and I, 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 it was about um, my storage unit and I snapped a little bit and I pulled back and I thought, wow, like I, like my patience has shifted. There's something around, around communication, which, which in that moment felt very different and just honoring the fact that how I'm talking and connecting with people may feel different. So the way that I think about grief, and I don't, we actually, I don't know that we've, we've ever talked about this, but one of the ways that I, I think about grief is that I think of it like a bowling ball. And it's like a bowling ball that sits right in front of your face. So you have this event, right? This event of loss, whatever. And, and I think like we're mourning, just not like COVID, but we're mourning the way things were. We're also mourning the way we thought things would be. And we're mourning plans, we're mourning stability. You know, I know you had a patient. How many people did she lose in the family? Oh, yeah. I had a family member who lost 12 people in a week to yeah. COVID. In a week. Yeah. And, and, so, yeah. you know, so like the loss, like it's, it's shocking. 
so when you think about the bowling ball, like the way that I think about it, like imagine like you have a bowling ball that's sitting three inches in front of your nose. Mm-hmm. And wherever you turn left, it's still three inches in front of your nose, right? It's three inches. In, wherever you turn, it's right there. So you can't see around it. You can't see under it. That bowling ball takes up the majority of your vision, mm-hmm. right? That's a good analogy. And, and it's just like, and it's always there. And of course, like you're going to snap, of course, like you're going to feel, you're going to feel overwhelmed because that's a stress position. Right. Right. And so what the fuck do you do with this bowling ball that's sitting in front of your nose? Well, you know what you have to do. It's not, it's the bowling ball. Now that it's there, it's always going to be there. So the idea of the bowling ball now is to live a life big enough to contain it because that bowling ball is your world, right? And so it, now it's a matter of proportion. And so, you know, when you go out and you're like able to live life and like the bowling ball now has space to like move from like three inches to like five inches to maybe like two feet in front of you. And then hopefully like as you live like a life that can contain it cause you have to shift the container around the bowling ball that the bowling ball can now like kind of move to the side of your, your sight line. So it's there. It's never going to go away. That's the thing. The event is never going to go away, but like you have to go live a big life that can contain that bowling ball. Right. And then like at some point, hopefully it's in your peripheral vision. So maybe you're aware of it, but it's not all you're seeing. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't feel at times all consuming. I, I think, especially since we're uh, coming to anniversary time around, you know, the first part of the shutdown is this idea that sometimes we can feel in a range of emotions and not know why we're feeling it. You know, grief, um, the bowling ball of grief or grief can feel like you can't even articulate your physical experience or your emotional experience. You don't know why you're feeling this way. You don't even have the words to wrap around it. You may just feel off. And how do we honor that space? And how do we give ourselves the bandwidth just to to be in that space and to pull in self-care and support? That's what I'm always thinking about and chewing on. Well, I think, you know, like last year, right? So what does it mean to be a healer in a time of crisis when, you know, like the community needs healing, right? And so, like, I, I, I don't know about you, but um, and I do actually know about you, but I'll let you speak to the experience. You know, when we went into shutdown, so New York shut down, what, like March 15th, 16th, something like that. And I went into crisis management mode because of the office. Because mm-hmm. remember, like, I had that big office. And so we went directly into, like, crisis management mode, trying to keep the office open. And then when it was recognized that we couldn't keep the, so there was like the loss of the office, but I was still like, I pivoted like that to um, telemedicine. So I moved like immediately into treating in the pandemic and the height of the pandemic here in New York city. And so, and I was just jumping from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. And I had patients and I was like, man, if I can keep you off a ventilator, like, I feel like I've done my job. (laughs) that time and so the the big thing is i think a lot of us did that like i am not alone in in that reaction to the pandemic and so that's going to wear thin and one of the things that i've had to work towards is forgiveness to myself 
that like sometimes your best just isn't good yeah. enough. And what I mean by that, let me give that this context. Okay, let me give this context. That like if the Titanic is sinking and you're just like Heidi, you have to go save the engines. I can go try, but man, like I am not like a naval mechanical engineer, and that ship is still going down, right? So sometimes things are just like above our kind of pay grade or our knowledge base or and we can do it the best we can in the moment but I can definitely tell you that during the the pandemic and stuff that my patient communication was lacking like my patient follow-up was terrible there was a lot of like aspects of patient care that I would normally expect for myself and I've done in the past that I just was not able to do right so part of that I, I think it's just like forgiving ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So this bandwidth and this, this realizing that our bandwidth changes and we do the best we can and around expectation of how we are showing up. I mean, how you showed up pre-pandemic is in, in, in invariably different than how you're showing up now uh, in the midst of the pandemic and then how you're showing up with when things are opening up. We're all just trying to figure out this, this ever-changing norm. And I think, you know, there are some patients, no, I was just going to say, there are like some practitioners who, for various reasons, couldn't show up the way that I showed up. So instead of like, I leaned in showing up and other practitioners had to kind of jump ship. And I've spoken with some practitioners that they're just like, fuck, like, I wish I could have like spoken to more people, could have helped more people, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, well, you have to forgive yourself for that too right so whatever end of the spectrum you wound up as a practitioner like over the past year and part of it I think is like grieving the idea of what type of practitioner you thought you would right. be because being a good yeah. practitioner in the time of peace is easy being being a good practitioner in the time of like stress and fucking apocalypse it's difficult and I think like sometimes people have an idea of like what that would mean and then when they're suddenly in it, it's just like, wait, that's not who I thought I was. And so there's there's this grief and, you know, in us as acupuncture, so much of our identity is wrapped up in who we think we are. And it's actually wrapped up in our job because we are the acupuncturist. It's like milk and coffee. You can't separate the two. It's like core to our identity in a lot of cases. And so when people haven't been able to show up the way they thought they would in the past year, you know, that's bone rattling everybody has to show up first of all everyone need needed to take care of themselves at some fundamental level meaning what do they need to do in terms of protecting themselves to the best of their ability from the virus and then where do they need to show up in relationship to family and community to support that so this redefined I should say gave an opportunity to redefine how we um how, where we needed to be, how we needed to connect to community and family. I mean, everybody became, uh, the world uh, had an opportunity and became almost healers in crisis. So we may, you may have not been doing acupuncture, but you could have absolutely been on, you know, the front lines doing something, providing food, trying to figure out how kids were going to get lunches. Everybody got activated or uh, I shouldn't say everybody, but the opportunity to become activated in a different way and show up in a different way, I think became prevalent in the pandemic. Yeah. And I think, you know, but like in some cases too, some people weren't able to show up. And I, I know like here in New York, because most of us are sole proprietors that don't have a salary. 
So there was no like paid time off. There was like nothing like that. So that means if you don't work, you don't pay rent. And when our ability to work was taken away from us in shutdown, that, that did two things. So one, well, if I can't work, I can't help. If I can't help, I'm not an acupuncturist. If I'm not an acupuncturist, who the fuck am I? And number two, like, oh shit, like, how am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay rent? And so I definitely know like a lot of practitioners who the crisis mode went into just simply like, where, how am I going to put food on the table? Right. And it wasn't even just like, how am I going to take care of the community or like, how, you know, and I think some of that came later, but I can tell you like the initial shock, what was, man, like what, that was the trigger. It was the trigger of lack and like that, like extreme fear of just like, oh, what? Oh yeah. Very fearful. What do I do? Where, where should I go? How, how am I going to navigate this? And it felt like the, the ability to adjust or the call to adjust happened so fast. I just remember being at work one day and then the office got shut down. It just within 30, 72 hours things shifted well but then like like social media and everything is just Mm -hmm. you know like it ratcheted up like a different to a different level to be like you know what newton did in quarantine invented calculus you have no excuse (laughs) it's just like i have no adrenals (laughs) right well, it, that does speak to that does speak to. I mean, social media could be a whole different topic, right? But uh, that does speak to this idea of have again um, having to highly perform, and I guess being very young in a very yin time. Well, what, what was and, designed as a yin sh- time, right? Which should have yes. been yin time. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Yeah. But like, we don't do well with yen. We just don't because that's what a capitalist culture is. Like a capitalist culture is young. And we're very removed from yin. It's very foreign to us, right? Like it's a foreign concept. And healing happens in the quiet times and we need to go into yin. And when we were told that, okay, state mandated, you're having to go into a yin state. It was like, does not, like you could feel like the neurons shorting a little bit. And then, but that was the, the, the media 
piece to it. It's like, do not go into a yin state. Go learn French. Go do sourdough. Go do like whatever. But you got to keep going. Like, don't stop. And it's just like, no, 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 no. But we have to go into a yin state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that that speaks to bandwidth. Because I remember when the shutdown happened for me, I was I was just trying to figure out what trying to digest a little bit about what was going on, how I needed to show up for myself so I could figure out, you know, how to be a parent. Like I didn't have time to make in my mind to make sourdough bread. Like I just remember just trying to just, you know, I was in shock. It was, it was a crisis. And I had to not look at social media, I think for a while during that time, because I just didn't need the extra expectation of performing. Mm when I was just trying to f- navigate this new norm in that moment. Mm. Yeah. Well, it was interesting to me too, though, right? When you took the structure of work away for, you know, you, of course you had like essential workers. And so this is not everyone, but like the majority of the population, when you took the structure of work away, like even in a pandemic, what became so apparent was the societal discontent to the way that society is. And the fact that you can have, like, in particular, like, communities of color, which were getting hit hardest, like, in the middle of of the pandemic, you know, again, that's a whole big topic, but one that, like, I think we need to at least touch on a little bit. When you have, like, communities of color who were just still, like, yeah, I just lost 12 people, like, in a day, like, I just lost 20, you know, whatever, I'm still going to go march, and I know there's a risk to it because we don't know what the transmission, like, at the time, we didn't fully understand transmission, right? And so they're still, like, I'm going to go take to the streets, and I'm going to go, like, voice my discontent, and I'm going to go, like, if we're going to shift, let's shift now. Yeah, that I'm so glad you brought that up because you know, my my family member who lost 12 people, she's black. And that moment I realized that everybody was experiencing COVID differently. Right. So I would talk to certain people who weren't uh, dramatically affected by COVID. And then I would talk to my family members who were dramatically affected by COVID. Yeah. And I realized that everybody is having a, their unique and different experience with COVID. Mm-hmm. And that a part of my ability to stay in engaged in a conversation is really honoring that. And, you know, and I think too, like when we talk about grief and fear and stuff, and you and I were talking about this yesterday, like in the treatment room, one of... I, I don't know, like, I, like, I think like the emotions are so raw and like people are still processing, but it's the idea that you, you have to metabolize. And when I say metabolize, I mean like high school biology, Krebs cycle. We literally have to me- metabolize like the chemical byproduct of these emotions. And so often I, I feel like we tend to overtreat because we feel like in the treatment room, we have to be offering solutions to people versus offering space. And so the idea, like as practitioner, as active witness, and active witness is often enough. But I I feel like over the past year, like a lot of us felt like we just weren't enough. Like we can never be enough. And so, but we feel like we are enough in the treatment room, right? Because we're able to offer solution. We're able to offer space. So You know, like as patients have come in, I found that like in the treatment room, I'm speaking less and less. 
I think grief is interesting. Grief is one of those um, experiences where people don't know what to do when they're around it. They don't, maybe they, I'm, I'm going to talk about somebody who's, or people who are observing grief. What do you say? What do you do? And what I have found is, is asking the person who's grieving what they need from me. And a lot of times it's nothing just to be in space. Maybe they need you to leave the room. Maybe they just need, you know, you to hold their hand while they're on the treatment table. Uh, Who knows? But I I do know that when we become more comfortable with our grief in our life and our pain points in life, we'll be able to have that active presence within the treatment space. I think also though, like providing space for us to have our own grief. And like, you know, and you've said this for years, you're like, man, like denial and carp compartmentalization like those are the best yes. right? those are the best things like yeah. denial is a fantastic <laughs> mechanism <laughs> I, I listened my aunt said that I was young my aunt was a social worker and she said that I must have been like 17 years old and she said denial is the best gift given and I never understood that and then I became a social worker and I thought oh this is what she meant that you can't completely embody your traumas and your experiences so denial will compartmentalize that and then if there's opportunity ready to come out and to heal that there will be a, a consciousness shift but you're right I remember first hearing that from her and I thought I don't know if I agree with this and now the older that I get I see I see why it's there. Yeah, because the, the first time serves. I heard you say that, I was like, what the fuck, Sean? Oh. <laughs> like, that's a bit aggressive. Who is this woman? Okay, whatever. <laughs> like, but then I sat with it. I was like, <laughs> denial is great. <laughs> like, you know, because, well, I think, you know, that one of the definitions of overwhelm, the definition of overwhelm is bleed over. Where, like, overwhelm, like, you have something that bleeds into all compartments of life. And so when you start to compartmentalize a little bit, like, and put boundaries around it, it allows for kind of cleaner operations of other places. So when our triggers and our stuff, like, come up in the treatment room, like, in order to sit with a patient, now you're sitting in your issue and the patient's issue, and you're overwhelmed, and you're short, and you have your bowling ball three inches in front of your face, and it's just, like, too much, right? And so one of the kind of coping mechanisms is like, okay, I'm going to deal with you at four o'clock on Thursday, go back in your box Mm -hmm. and you will have time and you will have time and I promise to, but then you have to go honor that four o'clock on Thursday. Right. Whatever that looks like. Yeah. Uh, Yes. So absolutely. That, that, what, what has helped me, this idea of when I was a social worker, there was never, I was never taught to really cultivate my end, meaning you muscle through things, right? So if you had an eight hour day, you just muscle through it. Uh, you just, you just, you see, if there was crisis, you just muscle through the crisis, not muscle through, you did the best you could. And then you went on to the next experience. And what you just spoke about helps me as an acupuncturist in terms of when an emotion comes up, acknowledging it, you're here, I see you. And I'm going to, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to address you is a way of not muscling through it. You're in connection with it. It's not some experience that's happening outside of your orbit. And that's really helped me in the therapeutic process around grief, fear, and trauma. 
And, and when well, I, get I think triggered. so too, like there's the eight branches to Chinese medicine, right? And this is, and to say that we're acupuncturists, I think does this a little bit of disservice because whether or not like you're an herbalist or not, you're still a Chinese medicine practitioner. And the gift of Chinese medicine is it's a framework within to think, right? Like it's, it's the paradigm shift that we have. And it, offer us, it offers us tried and true tools, right? That have been like tried throughout like the millennia, literally, right? And so, you know, the eight branches are going to be um, acupuncture, diet, Tui knot, so that's going to be um, like the push and pull massage, herbs, and then movement, and whether that's qigong, tai chi, yoga, like what have you. So those are the main five. And then the other three are going to be meditation, feng shui, and cosmology. So meditation being, you know, IP or IPFs, right, internal pathogenic factors. What affects us internally, like in terms of like emotions and how we can get our arms around that. Feng shui is how our environment affects us. And then cosmology is like, how, what are like the universal forces beyond that? And, and so there's a lot of things that, be, that happen to us beyond our control, right? That are like cosmological forces. And so number one, I think it's important to remember that, man, like shit things happen to good people all the time. And it's not, and it's not because all they the manifested time. it. It's just like, shit. Yes. Happen. Well, I think that could be a separate conversation in terms of around toxic positivity and spiritual bypass, yeah. right? Around that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, what you said is so, you know, like 100%. So, so like, we, we have to remember when there are these forces that are bigger than like, how do how do we maintain center? And but the gift to this is something that you just said that was like, awesome was that yin piece, like, go find the yin for yourself. And we ha- we've gone through the training for that. Yes, yes, yes. I wonder if a lot of us were pulled to this medicine too to help unconsciously or consciously find the yin. I know that I was highly stressed out when I found this medicine. And that what you said, finding the yin with me changed my life. Well, you know, because you get on that acupuncture table and that might be like the most yin 45 minutes you have in your week. Yes. And Uh so you kind of get like a taste of it. And I find like a lot of us came into the medicine because we were touched, moved and inspired by something that happened on the treatment table. Right. Like it shifted us fundamentally. And like in that shift, it was just like, wait a minute, I I want to explore this further. And so then, you know, you maybe wind up going like school to continue that exploration and what have you, or you just have like the professional patient. Which is totally fine, right? Because what the professional patient is doing is they're coming in and they're looking for that yin time. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. 
These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Mm-hmm. They're looking yeah, for connection. And, you know, as we yeah. move, whatever else you think, like Western astrology, but when they talk about moving from the Piscean age to the Aquarian age, which we're at the kind of beginning of, right? And again, I don't want to be mixing this with Chinese medicine. This is different, right? This is not cosmology. This is Western astrology. But like as we move into the Aquarian age, it's something that's more feminine, where everything is transparent, where there's no secrets, like everything is in the open, but it's also quieter and we're having to to rediscover what yin even means and like sitting with it and I tell my students I think I shocked my students the other day but I was just like man the Jews figured out grief they got that shit down to a science and like they kind of looked at me like you did not just say that and I was like I did just say that because you go and you sit shiv and the community supports you. The community comes to you. And there's that, there's the boundaries in that set time where you can go metabolize the emotions. And the community actually like supports you in that because healing doesn't happen alone necessarily. We heal in community. So community comes, you sit shiv. And then at the end of Shiv, the rabbi comes and you go for a walk to go look at the sky and just be like, the world continues to go on beyond this, right? And then every year you have your Yitzite candle, which is the candle that like you can burn for 24 hours. And you burn that candle like in memory of that person, like in remembering the light in that person in particular. But there's time set aside in the calendar for that where it's there and it's just like as it comes up and it's just like man like you have your time don't worry this year you're going to be june so you know because it's the the it's it's a different calendar like the jewish calendar right but like so the date can move against the gregorian calendar a little bit different but just saying like okay like this year like august august 10th that's the yard site candle and i found that with patients who are not jewish when i offer this up to them and I'm like go find a Jewish friend to help you or go find a rabbi or go go explore a little bit more in this tradition and see if you can find support almost 100% of the time they come back and they're just like I didn't know I needed that because like all like all I'm saying I'm not like saying like go co-opt this I'm just saying like there is a science and a technology out there which is what that is there's a science and a technology around there like sitting with grief and what that means and you just have to go like cultivate that yin. Yeah, cultivating yin. Yeah, is so so important. I feel like that's what we're landing on. <laughs> yeah, okay. Cultivating yin. Well, but yin. you know, like, you know, if, if you read like the work of, I don't know if you know, um, Sabine Wilhelm, she's doing like a lot of um, translations of like, old, in particular, like gynecological texts. 
And I think that's like the name of one of her books. Let me Google it. So this idea of if you this idea of you have cultivating in and being this foundation to 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 support you in your your in the fear in the loss in the grief in the in the anger in the irritability all of that these emotions can feel there could be you know feel like there can be guilt around even having these emotions or I shouldn't be having these emotions yeah but like even if you just like do like a quick perusal of Amazon or Red Wing books or something. There's so many texts out there on cultivating yin, nourishing yin, awakening yin, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like, so I think like people are clued into it. They're, they're clued into it in two way, but now like the question is like, how do we put this in motion? And I think we start that by taking care of each other. Right. Like offering yin to each other and going into that quiet time. And, and it might be that somebody's so uncomfortable with yin that they do ask you to stay in the treatment room. Absolutely. Cultivating uh, yin within yourself so you can extend it forward if you're able well, to. When we're comfortable in it, like, I, I don't know, like this is, this happened with a patient this week who she's going through a grieving process of um, a relationship and she's she's sitting god i don't know like five months out and like it still feels raw and times like it just happened like yesterday and so in the past like you know you would give herbs like a jow to like kind of mend a broken heart like literally glue the heart back together or you know but those are all yin herbs that that do that right but i just sat there with her and this was the first time that i just sat with her and i didn't say anything I just looked at her and I sat there like super in my body, in presence, in just really witnessing and not like offering any piece of advice. But and she just started like running at the mouth until like she couldn't run anymore. And that was part of the cultivating mm-hmm. yin for her just to like kind of let that burn out a little bit. But this idea of grief and shock and fear like that goes to the lungs and the kidneys, and so it's like we have to go back to like that kidney piece to it too. Yeah, and giving us I, I was, when you said that, I was thinking that to be open, I guess, to not knowing how this continues to unfold. Like, if anything, I learned from this pandemic is that I don't know anything. <laughs> Dude, I don't know squat, <laughs> right? Like, like, or, or like, I don't know. I don't know what tomorrow will look like. I don't know how. You know, I have an idea of what I would like to do and how I want to show up and be present. But I think what this pandemic has, sh- has shown is allow the unfolding. Right. So whatever that means, there's going to be an unfolding and a part of the unfolding that you're not going to be aware of that you don't know about. And how do you bring how do you bring kind of self-love to yourself while the unfolding is happening? You know, and being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Which I think is easy to say. It's easy to say for you and I to sit there and say, you know, work on being uncomfortable uh, with being uncomfortable. What, but what does that actually mean for, for, for yeah, everyone and, or for know, individually? I tell 
students all the time, I have no shame. I have no shame whatsoever in saying I don't know to patients. <laughs> all the time. Like, what do you think this means? I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the patients can be like a little bit shocked. Like, how does acupuncture work? I don't know. People are just like, well, I was like, well, I have an idea. I have a hypothesis around it. But like in the end, like, I don't know. And I'm kind of okay with that. I don't know how, how anesthesia works, but you better believe like if I'm going in for surgery, you're putting me under. And like, I don't know that the doctor knows how it works, but the anesthesiologist, that's why they're paid so much money because it's considered an art form. And so just because we don't know something deep doesn't mean it's not correct. And to just say like, maybe, and maybe that's where we start in the cultivation. Exactly. Yeah. This the whole idea of just the, just, I think about this idea of cultural humility and, and, and it's a mindset. And part of the mindset is this, is this cultural competence was, it's described as being a goal and cultural humility is understanding that there is no goal, that you'll never know everything about anyone <laughs> or culturally about, uh, or a culture and that you have the humility to be open-minded and continue to learn. But a lot of it is saying, I don't know. And that jumps you off from where you, where you can go to learn more. And I think emotionally, when we're feeling our emotions around all of this, I'll speak personally, I want to f- understand why I'm feeling why I'm feeling. And a lot of the unknowingness, or I should say what helps me is saying, I don't know. I don't know why I'm exhausted today and, you know, I'm highly irritable. I have some ideas and thoughts, but I'm also living in the global pandemic. So to really honor the fact that the emotional variety and diversity and our bandwidth to deal with it can fluctuate and yeah, vary and every moment. You know, I, I think about like form versus content. Like a lot of people are like attracted to form, like they're attracted to like, for example, like the aesthetics of Chinese medicine, right? They're attracted to like what that looks like. And so they move through the world at a very like surface level, right? But that's the yang. That's like what like shows forward and present. Whereas now I think we are moving into an age where it's just like, hold on, like, you know, cultural competency means like looking at the content and sitting with that content, sitting with the yin and saying like, especially in Chinese medicine, the content is so deep and so varied. Silk Road's medicine. So how it showed up in Tibet or Korea or Vietnam or Japan or like even further like into the quote unquote Middle East or you know, like it pops up in like Persia, like the Avicenna or Arabia or like whatever that's part of the content and we're not going to know all of it. And that's part of just like, we'll do the best we can. And that's not an excuse not to go explore either. That's not an excuse to say like, well, I can't know all of it. So like, nah, good enough. Like it's, it's an invitation to learn more and it's an invitation to cultivate that space and to seek out people who can speak to it. And to have the humility to say like, huh, like I haven't thought about that. But that comes from cultivating yin, right? Like cultivating that quietude. And that quietude, again, is a place for us to 
Yeah, I, I said this yesterday and maybe we can maybe we can finish off on this because you know, emotions are one way to think about emotions is that emotions are a chemical response to external stimuli that you're having a subjective reaction to. So what that means is like cheetah, like fuck, there's a cheetah, right? Like that cheetah is real, like that cheetah is there and it's licking its lips at you. The chemical reaction to your body is gonna be adrenaline. That's the chemical. And so now your whole system is flooded with adrenaline. Like your eyes are gonna narrow, like your muscles are gonna change and you're gonna go into fight or flight. The subjective response to that we call fear. And so every single emotion that we have, whether it's joy or rage or worry or anything in this broad band, right? It has both a chemical and an energetic signature to it. So that's what I mean. I'm gonna come back to it. Like that's what I mean by like biology 101, metabolizing it. We have to metabolize that emotion. And if we don't metabolize that emotion and we don't create the yin space to do that, we're gonna continue to get sick. And it's going to build up and it's going to build up and it's going to build up and it's going to pop. And that's what we can do as practitioners, I think, is to, again, like you said, like hold space. Bring awareness. awareness. Yeah. Any, any last thoughts on this? Yeah. My, it's my last thoughts is, uh, is just honoring bandwidth and, and just checking in And if you can't, if you have a projected idea of how you wanted to move through the world in a moment or be or connect and you're unable to because the yin or the bandwidth is not there, it's okay. Not this idea of not muscling through. And and that's that's a real um, act of self-care during this time. Well, thanks, dude. You know I love you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this has been great. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how this turns out. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.